What's up, QAA listeners? The fun games have begun. I found a way to connect to the internet. I'm sorry, boy. Welcome, listener, to Chapter 234 of the QAnon Anonymous Podcast, the Jacob Chansley, America's Shaman episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rakotansky, Julian Fields, and Travis View. If you only know one participant in the January 6th riots, it's probably the QAnon Shaman, aka Jacob Chansley. He was pretty distinct from the rest of the rioters thanks to his horned headdress, painted face, booming voice, extensive tattoos, and spear. And before he became world famous, he participated in QAnon events, which made him an occasional feature of this show. On May 25th, Chansley was released after serving 18 months in federal prison and a halfway house for the crime of obstructing an official proceeding. On today's episode, we're going to talk about how Chansley is making a big comeback. Travis attended an event in Scottsdale, Arizona, where he got to see Chansley speak extensively, and he's also taken a look at his very new and very shiny website. So that's what we'll be getting into. Additionally, we also got the chance to speak to Jacob Chansley directly. So towards the end, you'll be hearing from him in his own words. Yet again, I had uh, traveled to Arizona. I had other plans for Memorial Day weekend, I'll say that. But uh, the day before, Karma, friend of the show, hit me up and let me know about this event. I was like, ah, God damn it, I gotta go to this. So uh, <laughs> so I enthusiastically made yet another trip to Arizona. And um, I really think I'm going to have to crown Arizona as the... QAnon capital in the world. I, I used to say that like the two main states where there's you know, a big QAnon presence is Florida and Arizona, but man, Arizona's really pulling ahead. Imagine how fucked you have to be to beat Florida out on this one. Holy yeah. hell, Arizona. You're not even that wet. You're doing this dry. <laughs> you're doing this dry. What the hell is wrong yeah, with yeah, you? You're doing a dry run. And also on a side note, uh, listeners, this is how much Travis View loves you and potentially hates himself is that he is willing to give up, you know, a memorial date, maybe a barbecue, maybe maybe time with his family to travel to to the driest the driest piece of gravel on U.S. soil and bring you uh, uh, this exclusive content. Yeah, now he has uh, athlete's foot. He's got a rash on his butt. <laughs> uh, his, his dick don't work. <laughs> So the popularity of QAnon in Arizona can also be seen in that state's legislature. So uh, recently, Republicans in Arizona set up a committee called the Novel Coronavirus Southwestern Intergovernmental Committee. Now, very strange name. Wait, why Why do they call it Novel Coronavirus instead of COVID-19? Why do they call it Southwestern mm-hmm. instead of just, you know, Arizona? Why intergovernmental? This is all v- very strange ways to sort of phrase this committee. So the point of the committee is, is reportedly to examine federal, state, and local efforts to mitigate the COVID-19 pandemic. But in practice, it seems like it's like another attempt to legitimize baseless conspiracy theories. A lot mm. of people familiar with QAnon uh, notice that the committee's acronym is NCSWIC, and that also happens to be the acronym for a popular QAnon phrase, nothing can stop what is coming. Yeah, not the most elegant, hard to say, you know, as an acronym, not not quite like a kind of MAGA or, or something no. like that, but it is a hundred percent stuck in my head now ever since I, I knew we were going to talk about this because there, you know, there's that famous JT Wild song, you know, nothing can stop what is coming, nothing can stop. 
In responding to the claim that the committee is using a QAnon phrase, the uh, state senator Janae Champ, who organized the committee, tweeted, quote, what a goofy accusation. Sometimes an acronym is just an acronym. Her name is Champ, like S-H-A-M-P. That's right. What a weird name. Sometimes a name is just a name, too, I guess. Yeah. The Arizona State Senate GOP spokesperson Kim Quintero called the line of questioning about QAnon absolutely ridiculous and BS. However, the people Mm. at Media Matters for America decided to dig into the social media history of State Senator Champ, and what they found is that she has repeatedly used the phrase, nothing can stop what is coming in Facebook posts. For example, she uh, shared a graphic that says, Trump 2021, nothing can stop what is coming. That's not the only QAnon phrase she used. She also posted the, where we go one, we go all. Uh, In addition to that, uh, she's familiar with the work of some of the most popular QAnon influencers. Uh, Champ has repeatedly shared content that sourced a prank medic. Uh, she's shared uh, election denial content that she attributed to QAnon influencer Stormy Patriot Joe. She shared a quote that she attributed to QAnon influencer Jordan Sather. And Champ shared election denial content that she attributed to QAnon influencer Inevitable E.T. So given all that, it's fair to say that her claims of ignorance or outrage that this was a QAnon phrase that she was using is a bit disingenuous. I'm waiting for this to become a trend. I mean, try naming your company with the acronym WWG1WGA. I mean, I don't even know. I guess you could do like Worldwide Group One with good analysis, maybe. I don't know. I hope I didn't give anybody any ideas. (laughs) State Senator Champ, full of shit. Surely Shorty will be sh- uh, sharing better, you know, you, it's like the it's like a, a mirror, a front page of the mirror kind of thing. You can finish it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When they call it BS, they mean uh, Big Storm. That's the yes, acronym. Yes, That's the acronym for BS. Yeah. You're you're really doing uh, some real innovation in parasocial podcasting. You do half a joke and you assume that the you know, listener will just pick up on the rest of it. That's incredibly generous to call that half a joke. Thank you, Travis. Finally get <laughs> some recognition from you yeah after after four years you know it's like being in a relationship with somebody the the listeners are finishing julian's jokes by you know by themselves the whole point is to get worse at this until the tension <laughs> yeah, is unbearable yeah, yeah just like QAnon, just like QAnon. yes it gets worse we get worse now she is not the only arizona state senator to endorse or promote QAnon. um as alex kaplan has documented she's actually one of four people to do so in the 30 seat senate chamber which means that more than 10% of the Arizona State Senate has promoted QAnon. Good for them. My favorite historical parallel to QAnon is the anti-Masonic party of the uh, 1820s and 1830s. And I've often pointed out, like, at their at their peak, despite the fact that they were kind of a bonkers conspiracist party who thought the Freemasons were on the verge of taking over America, they controlled 10% of the House of Representatives at, their, at the peak of their power. So it seems as though that the Arizona legislature is about as reactionary and as pilled as U.S. Congress was in the 1830s. That's just great, man. That's just great. Just going in circles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Arizona is QAnon country, so it's not surprising that uh, Arizona is home to Jacob Chansley. I was thinking about the journey that we've gone on in, in encountering the QAnon shaman, and I think the first time that we encountered him was uh, at the Save the Children March in L.A. in July of 2020. That's nearly three whole years ago. This is where Julian conducted possibly the first ever media interview with Jacob Chansley. And uh, back in those days, he was hitting all the classic themes like uh, elites drinking children's blood. All right, and they get off on drinking children's blood, on molesting children and shit. They are as twisted as it gets. All you have to do is look into the archons, 
and the way that that uh, gets into like Gnostic Christian and stuff like that. And we've been fighting these things for thousands of years, you guys, and we're kicking them off the fucking planet right here, right now. We're making history. This shit is biblical. Exactly right. Thank you. I've seen you in somebody else's video. You were singing and chanting. That's right. You know, he was a man of the people even back then. We bumped into him again when uh, he attended QCon in Scottsdale, Arizona, and then uh, we ran to him again when he was at the Stop the Steal protest at the uh, Maricopa County Tabulation Center right after the 2020 election. And then, of course, our precious boy became world famous after he participated in the January 6th riots. He became like just a symbol of the absurdity of the day, and he was more visible than even people who are more dangerous and more responsible for the Capitol riot, like the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys or even like Ali Alexander and stuff. He became such, you know, a visible symbol of Jan 6 that one of my parents' friends, who's an incredible artist, made like an oil painting of him that is uh, hung in their house. That's crazy. Wow, Jake, Jake giving you the, the latest news and what his parents' friends are doing. This is Jake Rokitansky with breaking news. Uh, a guy at my synagogue gave COVID to my dad. Story is developing and... Uh, and I'll be <laughs> and I'll be back to report later. This is Jake Rokitansky. Back to you, Travis. Back to you, Jake. Back to you, Travis. Back to you. So Jacob Chansley even has his own Wikipedia page. And I checked when it was made. It was January 7th. That was his reward for participating in January wow. 6th. His own Wikipedia right. page. And today that Wikipedia entry is 2,400 words long, includes sections subheadlined career, activism, views, and popular culture. Well, as we know, he can be Schmeagel or he can be an old lady. Schmeagel. <laughs> My precious. See, the, the problem with Jake is that Jake is so much like Jacob that he's actually just going on his own. He's doing his own voice acting real now. No, I heard a bad impression of Gollum, and I came to the rescue with a better impression. Exactly. You have Jacob Chansley brain. Like Jake mentioned, he just sort of became part of pop culture. He, he was portrayed in a lot of media, films, and television that were about QAnon or January 6th. He was portrayed in a 2021 episode of South Park about the COVID pandemic. He's also portrayed in the first episode of season 15 of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He was also in uh, the film Reno 911, The Hunt for QAnon. And in that one, he's portrayed as this hulking goon that the crew of Reno 911 has to do battle with. I mean, if you haven't seen it, it's a, it's a pretty fun, it's a silly movie. Movie. It doesn't take itself too seriously. It seems like it would be more fun if you're a little high because, you know, it's wild and kind of uh, unpredictable. Mm. I've seen him actually in another piece of uh, media on Twitter. It was a guy uh, sitting on a sex toy dressed as him and uh, furiously jacking off. So oh, this guy was fantastic. spinning off into like sex parodies immediately on like wow. for, for like <laughs> only fan guys and actually Allison Steinberg who was also at this very first rally where I interviewed uh the Q shaman she ended up on OAN now so she is presenting there and she had a sexy Q shaman get up for Halloween so I mean it is mm. absolutely an indelible moment in American history like I don't even doubt that there will be history books where the Jan 6 insurrection will be shown in a photo and that photo will be one that includes him it has to yeah. Shamanism is back in America, baby. We're back and we're shamans now. I didn't pick that build for Diablo. I went with the barbarian because I like the idea that you can switch weapons. So, but maybe I'll do another playthrough as a shaman. Oh, I thought Jake's brain was finally just breaking. Like he, he was just <laughs> talking about a video game. Non sequitur. Incredible. I really did think you were having a minor stroke there. <laughs> 
So it wasn't just a U.S. thing, his fame, you know, because there are international copies of Jacob Chansley's getup. For example, there was a, a Brazilian shaman and a uh, mm-hmm. basic same premise, except Brazilian colors. And uh, there was a Canadian shaman. And uh, this one was uh, during the trucker protests. The uh, guy was basically wearing like half of his face painted red. So, you know, he's spawning mm. little, uh, you know, shamans all over the world, multiple continents. Mm. People also dress up as the QAnon shaman for Halloween. And this led to one incident last year in the the Pinnacle Classical Academy in Shelby, North Carolina. So an 11-year-old student at that school dressed as a shaman, including face paint, a horned headdress, and a homemade podium. So that student reportedly won first place in his age group for best costume. So his fellow students were very, very impressed. Um, Very funny, but uh, obviously also led to a lot of outrage. Brandon says... Tonight, one of my students won first place in his age group for the best costume. He's a free thinker with his own opinions and beliefs. Every child deserves the same opportunity. What the fuck? Oh my god, he's like got the podium stuck to him. Yeah, yeah. He's a guy who's got the podium. He's got the podium stuck to him. (laughs) This is fucked. This is so cursed. Holy hell. Of course, Jacob Chansley also became a poster boy for what some on the right believed was the unjust treatment of the people who were in the Capitol that day. Tucker Carlson, before he was fired by Fox News, he he used his program to air previously unseen footage of Jacob Chansley roaming inside the Capitol, and he used the footage to argue that the Capitol riot was not actually as violent as it was portrayed in the media. This basically tried to advance the false narrative that the rioters were just harmless tourists. And um, this segment led to claims that Chansley was released from prison early because of it, but that's not true. According to Albert Watkins, who is a Chansley lawyer, his release was based solely on the decision of the Bureau of Prisons, which was based on the plea agreement, sentence, and the protocols of the Bureau of Prisons. There was just a just a good behavior early release thing. I mean, keep in mind, Albert Watkins, this was the same guy who said uh, short bus in reference to Jake, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was not very complimentary cool. of, uh, of Jake, I'll say that. Yeah, that lawyer was an, <laughs> and is an idiot. <laughs> Now, okay, imagine just like all of this discourse and all of these parodies of Jacob Chansley had the effect of building up his clout, clout that he could not cash in because he was in federal prison. But then he was released and then he and his associates got right to work on a comprehensive influencer strategy. I mean, they were, they were, they hit the ground running day one. Mm-hmm. You're going to be the next Lever King kid. Yeah. Jacob Chansley's triumphant return was accompanied by the launch of digital media assets, including a new Twitter account and a website. So his Twitter account calls him America's Shaman, which perhaps a sign that he's trying to move past the, you know, the QAnon label a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ungritty reboot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. A little bit broader appeal. They're thinking, like, they're thinking brand yeah. strategy. They're not dumb. This website includes an extensive new line of merchandise, and let me tell you, it puts the uh, QAnon Anonymous podcast merchandise to shame. Just pages and pages of offerings on this new website. You can buy, for example, a shaman flag, and this is just an American flag with an image of the QAnon shaman yelling on top of it. And for $33, you can get a t-shirt that says QBACA, that's uh, the letter Q-B-A-C-C-A, and this was a derogatory nickname for Jacob Chansley in the wake of January 6th. But you got to understand, you know, in the attention economy, you can't own someone by giving them a clever nickname because they'll just adopt the nickname and monetize it. So this Chewbacca t-shirt includes an image of the Capitol and uh, Jacob Chansley with the body of Chewbacca uh, holding his bowcaster weapon. 
a now awfully bold of uh, them to use intellectual property owned by Disney, but um, maybe they'll be chill about it. Also for sale for $99, there's a poster that parodies the poster for the classic gangster film Goodfellas. Now, this is the poster that depicts uh, Robert De Niro looking very tough, and he's flanked by Ray Liotta and Joe Pesci, and they're floating above mm. a street that has a dead man lying across it. But in the Jacob Chansley version, uh, the film is called Cult Fellas with a Q. There's also merchandise advertising Chansley's Forbidden Truth Academy project, and this supposedly seeks to improve the lives of its members and transform the world through education and mentorship, offering services to increase IQ, expand consciousness, and enhance personal evolution. Uh, now, did we confirm if this was a Steinbart project? Because, you know, when I, I looked at the website, I was like, slick website, uh, good production value. I was like, this reeks of Steinbart. Yeah, the new uh, podcast that he's doing is with a, a Steinbart guy. Yeah, Marcus Cohen. Yeah. And then also the logo, yeah, of it obviously is kind of like uh, similar to the Steinbart media one. It all kind of smells like it's, oh, man. Isn't that so funny, though, how fucked up this world is that I see a QAnon site that's like, competently, you know, competently built, has kind of like modern, you know, modern font and presentation. And I'm like, it can only be one man, Austin Steinbart. Baby Q. So that's the website. And um, yeah, so I went to his big coming out event. You know, there's going to be a, there are lots of people there. So the, the event was held at the campus of the Reformed Living Bible Church in Scottsdale. However, a church elder said that the uh, the church didn't actually host Jacob Chansley. So this uh, this was John Politon, and he said that his flock leases an auditorium for Sunday services on a multi-acre campus that had previously been a Lutheran church, a Jewish synagogue, and a charter school. He said Chansley spoke in a meeting hall located in a separate building that his church does not lease. The local radio station KJZZ News spoke to Paulton, and he said that the event led to a spike in critical website activity and voicemails. So to the church, you mean? Like people... Yes, yeah. yes, people are angry at the church. Mm-hmm. Some of them are very caustic, very vulgar, uh, and very irate. But our church had nothing to do with this event. We didn't even know it was happening. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah. So when I arrived at the church, I didn't know what to expect. No, because like, every single time I've seen Jacob Chansley, he was very much a loner, like a mascot. I would not call him a leader or a guru in any particular sense, even though he obviously had a point of view. He even published a book. So it was very much to my surprise when I found that the parking lot of the church was just packed. I, found, I managed to find a spot. And when I walked around to the front of the building, I saw not one, but two billboard trucks. These are those uh, cargo trucks that have the LED panels on both sides, so they function like a giant rolling screen. Now, usually these billboard trucks, they're used by uh, businesses for advertising purposes. But in this case, they displayed like slideshows of the QAnon Shaman and also old <gasps> YouTube videos from Jacob Chansley. Just these awesome. big trucks outside the church just displaying, you know, like fucking 15 feet across his face. It was very, very strange. This is like, you know how at kids' birthday parties nowadays, you know, parents will sort of spring for a big truck <laughs> that pulls up in front of their house and um, there's video games inside and the kids can go in and play video games. I think this is the equivalent for pilled boomers. You know, you get a big bus, it pulls up in front, it's got your favorite YouTube videos blasting on it. I mean, there's this is a real innovation here. Inside the building, I saw uh, Jacob Chansley. He was he was chatting with people. He, he ditched the face paint and horns. Instead, he was wearing this white suit and bandana, American flag tie. He was lo- looked a little bit more professional, I have to say. And man, he talked about a lot of things. He talked about 
neuro-linguistic programming. He talked about the lying media. He talked about the importance of like love and not anger when you're debating. And what struck me about his message is that it was characterized by a greater kind of pluralism that I usually see from QAnon followers, uh, you know, both like religious pluralism and political pluralism. He cited the words and example of Lao Tzu, Christ, and the Buddha. I mean, he's talking about Buddha and basically a church full of, a room full of Christians. He also tried to find uh, places where Democrats and Republicans can find common ground. Like, for example, he said that the government is corrupt. So that's Chansley, speak on it. I mean, yeah, it sounds very nice. I mean, he basically sounds right here kind of like a politician who's trying to snag some votes from the other side by like, you know, uh, reaching across the aisle, finding a bridge. But in reality, his his vision of common ground basically involves advocating or believing things that can benefit authoritarians. Now, he extended this idea by claiming that everyone can accept the idea that elections are all fraudulent. Yes. Because every time the Democrats move, they say, oh, it sounds like people are kind of talking and milling around like it's almost like they treat him as a celebrity but also maybe just a kind of i don't know part of a conversation they're all having or something it's it's weird yeah yeah you know he was the band in the background there were lots of people uh i mean like i couldn't get near the front i couldn't get a seat i arrived too late so it's kind of in the back and yeah you can hear a lot of people talking and milling about i mean again he, he i guess he tried to betray the sort of the you know common ground reach across the aisle kind of bullshit but he also got into some of the transphobic rhetoric that's very popular on the right right now. Uh, on Twitter, he even promoted the uh, transphobic documentary by Matt Walsh of The Daily Wire. So I think his actual alignment is pretty clear. He also got into uh, medical quackery. He, for example, claimed that uh, Royal Raymond Rife back in the uh, 1930s invented a device that can kill cancer cells with radio waves. And we hear this a lot from kooks, but he did not. That did not happen. What actually happened was that, you know, he made this claim. And then over the years, people have sold what they called Rife devices to the most desperate and vulnerable people who are very ill, and this led to massive cases of medical fraud. Mm. Jacob Chansley also claimed that Nikola Tesla, oh, 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 this again, this bullshit again, he claimed that he invented the means for infinite free energy, but was, of course, suppressed by big business. So it just so happens that Nikola Tesla discovered an infinite free and wireless energy supply using those of a magnetic field. He invented a tower that harnesses this energy to create an infinite, clean, free, wireless form of electricity for everyone in the world. And he did so over 100 years ago. 
modeled applause for that. Wait, what are we talking about? <laughs> yep. Sure, free? Okay. Free for everybody. Wait, is this a handout? Is this a, was Tesla a communist? What's happening here? There was kind of like a broad techno-futurist bent to Jacob Chansley's claims. There was a lot less open bloodlust than, you know, uh, characteristic of a lot of QAnon. I didn't hear anything about blood drinking or adrenochrome or any, any of that kind of shit. He said, for example, that Trump declassified a means for extracting free energy, and this was supposed to be used for, uh, for spacecraft. You may, and you may be wondering why you haven't heard about this just yet. Did you know that Trump declassified three major patents with the Navy before he left office? Uh, these patents, you guys, these three patents can and will change the course of humanity forever. They are as follows. Zero point energy, which basically extracts energy from the vacuum of space, okay? There's also a room temperature superconductor, and this room temperature superconductor allows the zero point energy engine to function without overheating. Then, finally, he also released a uh, anti-gravity or inertia propulsion vehicle that's shaped like a triangle. It's called the TR-3D. All of these things together, you guys, are the holy grail that the UFO and the conspiracy community have been begging, begging the government to declassify for decades. And nobody's talking about it. Not even in the conspiracy UFO community. Like, oh, these were declassified. Okay, during Trump's 2020, uh, during his uh, time as president in 2020. I thought it was kind of, um, I don't know, hard to believe the idea that Trump would enable uh, free energy and spacecraft and not mention it once. I feel like he's got a, kind of got a big mouth and this is something he would take credit for personally, you know. But um, I went ahead and looked what he was uh, talking about and this is kind of an interesting rabbit hole. So here Chansley is referring to three real patents of very futuristic sounding technology and um, they were assigned to the U.S. Navy and they're created by engineer Salvatore Cesar Paez. In Paez, he, he worked for the Naval Air Warfare Center Aircraft Division or the NAWCAD and uh, the defense technology publication The War Zone has a few really interesting articles about these patents and the controversy surrounding them. So I think it's important to remember that invention doesn't actually need to be uh, totally functional in order to receive a patent. Now, the most intriguing of these patents is, is titled Craft Using Inertia Mass Reduction Device and describes a hybrid aerospace underwater craft described as being capable of incredible feats of speed and maneuverability and can fly equally well in air, water, or space without leaving a heat signature. Now, this is possible, Paez claims, because the craft is able to engineer the fabric of a Reality at the most fundamental level by exploiting the laws of physics. So this is the actual text from that patent. It is possible to envision a hybrid aerospace slash undersea craft, which due to the physical mechanisms enabled with the inertial mass reduction device can function as a submersible craft capable of extreme underwater speeds, lack of water skin friction, and enhanced stealth capabilities. This hybrid craft would move with great ease through the air slash space slash water mediums by being enclosed in a vacuum plasma my bubble slash sheath. Well, you had me until the big plastic bubble. This is like, uh, what, the, the, the Forbidden Island or whatever? What was that movie what? called? Forget it. Who cares? Yeah, we can see, yeah, there's a diagram here of a triangle of the ship and like wavy lines that's supposed to be like, you know, the electromagnetic, you know, space around it. I think technically I would refer to this drawing as dope. Yeah. It's, it's sweet. 
This is all supposedly possible because all matter contains energy on the quantum level. By theoretically creating its own incredibly dense and polarized energy field, this hybrid craft is claimed to be able to create a quantum vacuum around itself, which allows it to repel any air or water molecules with which it interacts. So the craft can essentially ignore like aerodynamic or hydrodynamic forces. So this is what is called the Piaz effect. He posits that by controlling the accelerated spin or vibration of electrically charged matter, high energy electromagnetic fields can be produced. A technical barrier for creating this magnetic field is the fact that it would require massive amounts of energy. Now, fortunately, Piaz has other patents for a room temperature superconductor and a plasma compression fusion device that supposedly make this electromagnetic field possible. The fusion device, if it worked, could supposedly generate a terawatt of energy or more from a device no larger than an SUV. And the thing is, is that if you could provide just massive amounts of, of energy using very small devices, I can think of like a lot more practical uses for that here on Earth than a spacecraft. I, I, this, is, this is what they're going with. Now, here's where things get interesting. So the application was initially rejected by the patent examiner on the grounds that, quote, there is no such thing as repulsive EM energy fields and that today's technology can't generate enough energy to make it work. However, the Navy appealed the decision and the chief technology officer of the U.S. Naval Aviation Enterprise, that's Dr. James Sheehy, personally vouched for the legitimacy of this revolutionary aerospace technology and the Navy's appeal to the patent office. Sheehy doesn't go as far as to say on the record that the Navy currently possesses this technology, but rather he states that it's possible, and more crucially, Dr. Sheehy adds that, quote, China is already investing significantly in this area, and, quote, would prefer that the U.S. hold the patent as opposed to paying forevermore to use this revolutionary technology, as he asserts, quote, this will become a reality. Now, after this letter, the patent office approved the patent and no reason for why they had a change of heart was given. What if the Chinese get it first? Okay, all right, fine. Yeah. Fuck, this guy's in the Navy. All right, just do what he wants. Who cares? Yes, exactly. That sounds sounds like how, how, how it went down. All right, we're putting your pretty drawing on the fridge, okay? Okay? It's right here. The other interesting thing is that the Navy didn't have to make this patent public. So um, under the uh, Invention Secrecy Act of 1951, they could have instead chosen to keep the details of this supposedly revolutionary technology, you know, under wraps, which, you know, makes sense if you want to like have a hold a monopoly on it, if it was generally uh, a genuine breakthrough. The other interesting thing is that the communications director at NOCAD claimed that the Navy spent years testing the supposed Pius effect without a positive result. So this is exactly what the Navy said. The high-energy electromagnetic field generator testing occurred from October 2016 through September 2019. The cost was $508,000 over the course of three years. Around 90% of the total, $462,000, was for salaries, while the rest was used for equipment, test preparation, testing, and assessment. When NOCAD concluded testing in September 2019, the Pais effect could not be proven. No further research has been conducted, and the project has not transitioned to any other government or civilian organization. Sounds like they got it to work, and then they're hiding it! <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, here we have, so this is patents for, like, this, like, Star Trek shit. But if it worked, it would actually yeah. have vastly more practical applications than just a spacecraft. And the patent was rejected until the Navy vouched for it and mentioned that the Chinese are working on something similar. And then they made this patent public, even though they didn't have to. And they couldn't even prove the principle that would supposedly allow the spacecraft to work despite years of testing. So I can't claim to know 
exactly what the hell's going on here. But some have speculated that this patent is actually part of an information operation from the U.S. You know, perhaps the Chinese really are working on some sort of super advanced um, uh, aircraft or spacecraft, and the U.S. is responding by letting them know that, you know, America's still the leader in military technology. Yeah. Or maybe, the, you know, the technology is not realistic at all, but this is an attempt at, like, technological intimidation or to bait the Chinese into wasting resources on their own, like, UFO technology. Or maybe it's just a scientific misadventure. Maybe it's just skunk works. Maybe they're, they're just so, you know, hard for the idea of America being number one that they were willing to pour resources in this pie-in-the-sky idea that never had any hope of getting anywhere. So I don't know what's going on, but, but I find those explanations more plausible than the idea that the UFO and infinite energy technology is real and was released to the public with very little fanfare. Although, I mean, Travis, you know, just because it doesn't exist doesn't mean we can't shoot it at the Chinese. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to take the technology, just bunch it together and just throw it on that continent. <laughs> I think we know it doesn't exist because those balloons would have all been shot down much, much faster. Eventually, Jacob Chansley, he got a question about Operation Trust. And this was a counterintelligence operation by the Soviet Union in the 20s. What they did is they set up this fake anti-Bolshevik organization called the Monarchist Union of Central Russia. And the purpose was to use this organization to identify actual anti-Bolsheviks and pro-monarchists. In the context of QAnon, this is often brought up by the far-right conspiracists who are skeptical of QAnon. They argue that QAnon is not a genuine movement of patriots, but a psyop designed to distract and identify people who want to fight against the deep state. Jacob Chansley, in fielding this question, uh, took this as a sign to speak about QAnon, which he called the elephant in the room. So let's, let's sort of address the elephant in the room, shall we? Um, everything in the mainstream is a psychological operation. In other words, it's about this, controlling the mind. This is a part of something known as full-spectrum dominance. Full-spectrum dominance is a military term. It's controlling the land, the sea, the air, space, technology, and the mind. Okay? So the mind is actually the battleground that we're fighting over. It is a spiritual battle because it is a soul battle. It is a mental battle. Okay? How does this relate to you? Chansley went on to discuss the question of whether QAnon is a PSYOP. But while he was talking, he was interrupted by a man who was in the process of being kicked out of the venue. He apparently came uh, decked out in combat gear, including like a tactical vest. You know, I, I personally, I didn't see him carrying any firearms, but the clothes alone were enough to uh, worry the event organizers. So Jake was interrupted in the middle of his thoughts about how to consider QAnon. This is the question I have to ask whenever I think about this idea of QAnon being a PSYOP, okay? Is it a psyop, a psychological operation? I'm talking to her, bud. Thanks. Is Q a psychological operation that is intended to divide the people or distract the people from a global takeover or what have you? Or is it a psychological operation designed to reveal to the public blackmail like Jeffrey Epstein? Um, I'm talking. What's up? The man started going on a rant about how, uh, according to him, he was running for sheriff and during his campaign, police illegally searched his home. And this was because he said he advocated for judicial reform. It was a very strange, intense moment. But honestly, I thought that Chansley handled the situation as best as he could. And uh, so basically, uh, you know, kind of Chansley kind of like tried to defuse the situation while the man was being escorted outside by some Arizona Rangers. There is no fire. Well, but here's the thing. We can talk later. It's just 
I was answering this woman's question. I'm sorry. I understand. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And we can, and we can, we can talk. We can talk. We can talk, okay? I don't want you to feel bad, all right? Thank you for coming, okay? I, I appreciate it, brother. You don't gotta go. They're asking me to go, bro. Well, well you looked like you were coming to test for battle, buddy. No, I didn't. And I can't remember what, what was going on. We're all about peace here now. Okay, so. They're asking me to leave. They're asking me to leave for interrupting you, man. What are you going to do about this? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I got to say, you know, it was handled pretty well. Um, and you know, I got to say kudos to the event organizers for, you know, keeping it, keeping it tight security. So even someone who looked like they might be trouble got the boot. So Chansley went on to give an example of how a disclosure movement could be co-opted. He talked about how, according to him, the UFO community at one point was mostly concerned with futuristic technology, but then somehow it started fixating on abductions from space aliens. If there is an effective psychological operation that is going on, there will be infiltrators, okay? So do I believe that JFK Jr. is still alive? No. Do I believe that the Earth is flat? No. Do I believe in this idea of just trusting the plan and sitting back and eating popcorn and watching the movie? I had people say that I wasn't in prison. When I was in prison, one of my fans told me that somebody online was saying that I wasn't in prison, that I was actually in Afghanistan helping Antifa fight with the Taliban. I had people say that everything that happened in the Capitol was a movie and that I was a CIA plant. Once again, this is disinformation. And so with this idea of trusting the plan, try to keep in mind that if a psychological operation is effective at exposing people, if it is effective at exposing the system, then there's going to be infiltrators in mass that are going to try to co-opt that psychological operation and bring it down from within. Okay. Don't you see? It all makes sense. So if there's an operation to disclose real secrets and valuable information, then of course, inevitably, it'll also be used to promote bad information and nonsense and conspiracy theories. So the fact that QAnon is full of nonsense explains why it was actually good. It is very interesting that he's basically caught up in his own conspiracy theories now because he, he's come into broad contact with the conspiracy community <laughs> and they've all spun out into a million different directions making up weird shit about him. And he's like, ah, how did, how is this happening? And it's like, yeah, well, I got I got bad news about your whole thing too, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember a lot of people said that like he was like BLM and Antifa when like, you know, the right at first decided to disown him. You know, Lynn Wood said that he was Antifa and and I'm sure, yeah, at, the, at first he was like, no, no, wait a minute. No, I, I make conspiracies about other people. This not this pointed the wrong direction. Doesn't come yeah. at me. This is weird. Yeah. Jacob Chansley goes on to say that just because some people aren't able to discern the good information from the bad information, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have good discernment. And is it possible that there is an infiltrator or many infiltrators in the Q movement? that are attempting to co-opt it and make the people seem like they're completely nuts? Yep. Absolutely. Am I one of those people? Hell no! Am I intelligent enough to decipher the information from the disinformation? Yes. 
Does that mean everybody is? No. I mean, yeah, there are two things. Number one, the, the fact that he basically he took these Navy patents just totally on face value uh, suggests to me that perhaps he isn't that good at discerning, you know, the information from the disinformation. And uh, number two, it seems like what happened was that he was 100 percent Q-pilled un until he finally realized like, oh, wait, there's lots of like crazies in QAnon world because they're making up conspiracy theories about me. But I still think Q is good. How do I resolve that? Oh, I got it. There are infiltrators that are promoting bad information and they just have bad discernment, but overall the Q operation is still good. You know, prior beliefs, you know, validated and confirmed and preserved. Chansley then goes on to make a pragmatic argument for what he called the Q operation. He says that it helped people wake up to all the corruption and evil in the world. Therefore, it was worthwhile. That believe and understand what was going on on Epstein Island before it ever broke. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, Jeffrey Epstein killed himself. Okay. There is a whole subsection of people that understand how our debt-based currency is enslaving our population. There is a whole millions of people that were not awake before 2017 that understand child and human trafficking is the largest black market industry in the world. There is a whole millions of people and growing of people that understand that there is a shadow government, not just in the United States, but abroad. So if this is the effect of the Q psychological operation, I'm all for it. Yeah, we're being psyoped. Woo, manipulate me, shadowy forces. Woo. That's, I mean, that is like very, very sad. It seems like every everyone, especially these people who are the most conspiracy minded, they've given up hope on the idea that they won't be manipulated by shadowy forces, some of whom may mislead them. It's like, okay, that's going to be a given. But since it's going to happen anyway, can it be the good shadowy forces I approve of? The, you know, the, the white hat shadowy forces, the good, powerful, secretive intelligence agencies who are, who are sending me down rabbit holes? I guess I'll settle for that because like not being manipulated that's obviously not an option. Yeah, that is an incredibly, you're right, cynical take, right? It's like, hey, listen, we're all being psyoped into oblivion. We have no idea what's true. Everybody's just basically feeding us narratives. But one of them, I like. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, yeah, it. Just give up. Just pick the psyop you, you trust the most and say, yes. whatever, send me, send me down this path. You know what? He at least, you know, like you said, he's a pluralist. He's saying, you know, pick your own adventure. Pick your own mm -hmm. psyop. So, yeah, you mentioned Austin Steinbart, and I actually happened to, because in the middle of uh, his talk, I saw Austin Steinbart in person. He walked into the room. I got to say, his hair does look as solid and, and gelled in person as it does mm. in those photos. He's got, he's got, he takes care of his hair, I got to say. Did you give him a firm handshake? Did you give him a pat on the back? He was talking to a bunch of people. He's talking to people constantly, so I, I didn't get a chance to, uh, you know, wedge in there. What you go up, what you do is you go up and you tap to check for the Wizenator. You just, you don't even say, you don't even say hello. No, that would, I think that that would end with Travis getting carried out uh, by yeah. some rangers. Travis, few arrested in Arizona for assaulting baby Q. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> well, yeah, that would have, I would have to podcast from prison. So it seems as though, yeah, like you mentioned, like Austin Steinbart and uh, Jacob Chansley, it seems like they're forming kind of this loose network of QAnon adjacent content creators and include some names you probably haven't heard of, like Marcus Cohen and Pete Santelli. But, uh, uh, if I were to guess, I would seems like like Jacob Chansley is like the newest and perhaps one of the most valuable new assets in this network. And that's, of course, yeah. going to raise all of their profiles. So they're going to create uh, 
nice little network to compete with some other, you know, QAnon networks there. Well, sure. Unlike most, you know, popular QAnon influencers, uh, Chansley actually did something. He he showed up and he stormed the Capitol. You know, most of them can only say that they, you know, sit behind a microphone and and sort of pontificate. But it makes sense to me that, you know, the, the sort of influencer sphere in the conspiracy world is, you know, kind of fighting over, over who gets Chansley because he, one, is so visible. Two, you don't have to prepare content for him because you could just stick him in front of a podium and he will be able to rant for, you know, two hours. I mean, I, I think, you know, in, in, in terms of sort of birthing a, a QAnon celebrity, he, he's like in the top running. I can't wait until Austin Steinbart and Jacob Chansley turn on each other like DeSantis and Trump. Yes, inevitably. Yeah, and you just have Jacob up there like, and uh, little baby Q uh, with his plastic penis, you know? Yeah, this, this is what always happens in conspiracy circles. You know, the paranoia, the paranoia eventually creeps in to your, your sort of everyday interactions. And yeah, of course, uh, eventually you're going to find beef, you know, with, with, you know, your producing partner or, or, you know, another influencer. I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of destined to happen. I don't know though. Maybe, just maybe Jacob and Austin are compatible in some weird way. I don't know. I could, I could see it happen too, that they just get along swimmingly. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. You know, they might, their talents might mesh and amplify each other in a, in a sense. So we'll see. I mean, you know, I was, I was thinking about Jacob Chansley's journey because I remember one incident in the days after the 2020 election, I was hanging out at the Arizona Capitol because I was told that there was going to be a gathering there, but that never materialized. But Jacob Chansley did show up like by himself. He had that QAnon flag draped around his neck, like a, like a cape. And with nobody present, I had, I was, had a, I was 200 feet away with my, you know, telephoto lens. And he started like dancing in the circle and beating his drum. And he, he wasn't performing for an audience. He was just doing a ritual by himself for himself. Cause he's just, he's just, he's just on the track and he goes, and that's just the way he is. And then flash forward two and a half years. And I see him like command a room of 150, 200 people for hours. And, you know, I, I have no clue how, how big this is going to get because, you know, he does have, like I said, he's got, he's got the gift of gab a bit and uh, he's able to like research things in ways that uh, people respond to. So we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens. Now, we got an opportunity to speak to Jacob Chansley himself over Zoom. Now, this is technically not the first interview we've done and aired with Jacob since, like we mentioned, we, we actually spoke to him directly when he was at the Save the Children rally in L.A. We're definitely not the uh, only people to interview him since he got out. Since his release, he's been on a media tour speaking to just about anyone who will have him on. Uh, that, of course, will give him plenty of opportunities to advocate for his esoteric worldview. And during his two and a half hour talk with us, he spent a lot of time talking about his various conspiracies and uh, spiritual beliefs. But we were really more interested in hearing about his journey. You know, like how did a man from Arizona go from yelling about pedophiles at the Arrowhead Mall to attending a QAnon march to uh, becoming the most famous participant of January 6th? So to finish this episode, we're going to play some edited clips from our interview that will focus on the stuff that we found most interesting. I was really interested in hearing about his upbringing and how he was like raised in a conservative Catholic Rush Limbaugh listening household 
And uh, surprisingly, it was his questioning of this worldview that turned him into a, a seeker of alternative perspectives. He talks about how his introduction to conspiracism was uh, was through a lot of like the classic internet conspiracy theory videos and the aughts, like the uh, 9-11 documentary that we're, we're pretty sure this loose change that he's talking about. He also mentions the Zeitgeist films and then uh, films about uh, the futurist Jacques Fresco. He discusses how his political perspectives really flow from his spiritual quests. My childhood was, to say the least, unconventional. I got picked on a lot in schools. I also had a rather interesting and somewhat turbulent childhood at home. My dad was an alcoholic. Uh, he was an alcoholic that liked to argue and debate politics. You know, I, I grew up in a conservative home. Uh, my dad was a Bush supporter, a supporter of the war in Iraq and all that stuff. And being a naive young man, I believed everything my dad said for the most part. And then eventually as time went on and I started to think for myself, I started to realize that there were some very large inconsistencies in the government story, whether it be weapons of mass destruction or, you know, what have you about 9-11 um, or about the Bush family. And so that kind of created a real cognitive dissonance for me that actually is something that at first I was you know, shocked about, but I, at some point kind of learned to enjoy because then it was like, okay, well, what is the truth then? And then I started to do my own research and think for myself and to see the world in a way that was not the way my dad saw it. And, um, I mean, if you've ever, if you've ever argued with a drunk, there's no winning. So I've, uh, really refined my verbal capabilities. I really, refined my ability to debate and condense complex and esoteric knowledge and topics into a easy to understand format. Like Einstein said, if you don't understand it simply, uh, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it fully. The environment I grew up in wasn't always chaotic. My dad was a good man. He just had a bad monkey on his back and he got drunk a yeah. little too often. You know, that's, I don't want to make too big of a deal out of that. I guess the, the real crux of the issue is that my standing out in school, as well as my ability to think for myself at home, has sharpened my tongue and given me the ability to not only think for myself, but then articulate my own personal viewpoint in a way that's easy to understand and relate to. Sometimes it, you know, being around my dad when he was drunk was a blast. <laughs> you know, he was, he was really fun sometimes and it was great hanging out with him. And then other times it was like hanging out with a demiurge or something, you know, it was terrible. And it was like, he was possessed by this alcoholic demon of sorts, but he was a really good dude when he was sober for the most part. So that's, and anybody that, that, is an uh, has an alcoholic in their family knows that who they who a lot of these alcoholics are when they're drunk is not who they are when they're sober. And so <laughs> when my dad committed suicide, it was, you know, it was kind of like uh, the last kick in the nuts because there was all this stuff that I went through as a kid. And even though I went through all that, I still loved him. I stopped believing in Bush and all that crap long before he passed. What really did it for me was the uh, documentary about 9-11. I don't remember quite what it was. It was a long time ago. It was like in like 2004, 
or 2003 that I saw it. I just know that it, what it did is it opened my eyes to the idea that there were some very real questions that needed answering and the nine 11 commission and their story was not up to snuff. So that really started the opening of my mind. And eventually as I started doing more research about the Bush family, how they were involved in the CIA with, you know, Kennedy, where Prescott Bush came from, how he was involved with Hitler and all that stuff. Uh, it's, it really started to get me to realize that both Republicans and Democrats are corrupt, baby. My dad, you know, was always all oh, the Democrats, this the Democrats, that my dad was a big fan of Rush Limbaugh. And I eventually kind of got tired of Rush too. God love him. But I, 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 he was, he was a good orator. But the thing is, is that he just repeated himself so much. And I really got to a point where I was like, this is, he's doing a three hour show, but he's really kind of saying the same thing over and over and over again. I, I'm just not getting into this anymore. I, this isn't, this isn't doing it for me. And he was consistently pushing the narrative of the 9-11 commission. So I just at some point realized, well, the whole fucking thing is corrupt. The media, my dad was a fan of Fox News. Uh, I, I realized, okay, well, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, NBC, they're all crap. I found out about Operation Mockingbird and it all kind of made sense. 2004 was really the beginning, like the real intense, like I'm going to start thinking for myself. Also, what really did it was watching Esoteric Agenda in 2008. That really opened my eyes. Watching some of the zeitgeist, watching... Future by Design about Jacques Fresco, watching the Thrive documentary. You know, it, it just, you know, I don't accept, I don't accept anything at face value. It was more so spiritual than anything. The spiritual dynamic of my life shifted in a way that is extremely profound. And we have far too little time to discuss. But for the sake of brevity, I will just say that what really shifted first was my spiritual perspective. I've always been very spiritual ever since I was a kid. Even at five years old, I was asking my mom, like, who's God? What's God? Where is God? You know, and her answer, God just is, sweetie, really did not, did not do it for me. I was like, oh, that's a lame answer. I was really hoping for something more than that crap. So I started to think a little more deeply about these things on my own because I didn't get sufficient answers from the church. My mom tried to raise me Catholic, Ugh. you know, and I, you know, we had to go to Sunday school and go to church and it just, it was so damn boring. And even as a kid, like the logical fallacies within the Catholic philosophy were just so glaring and obvious. I was like, this just doesn't, this isn't doing it for me. And because I was such a deep thinker and because I really wanted to know God, I really wanted to know. It's like, well, if God exists, I want to know like how, why, where, who, what, when, you know, and then it also kind of dawned on me around the same time of my spiritual questioning of reality and, and all this stuff about God, not in a way of like questioning whether God exists or not, but if God exists, then, you know, where's the goods? You know, I want to know the truth. Uh, also, that bled into this political view of like, well, then why is the world so screwed up? Why are there homeless people everywhere? Why are there some people that are starving in Africa? Why are children being like subjected to that in Africa? Like, what's what is actually going on here? It was always this like lukewarm halfway. You have to believe all this stuff and then you'll go to heaven. And it's like, well, hold on a second. 
What about the people in like Africa that don't even know about any of this stuff? Where are they going? You know, what's happening to them? Is God going to like send them to hell because they don't know who Jesus is? I'm sorry, I have a question. <laughs> you know? It became a deep and profound curiosity that I think all people are born with, but they get, they get stifled, whether it be in a church or in a school classroom. So I think that that curiosity is put in everyone, but it is squashed by the world because it has no place in the society of slaves. I was always very opinionated in school, and I think that's part of the reason why I got picked on, whether it be about God or politics or world events or whatever. I mean, I'm talking about things in second grade that most kids, you know, they're just focused on their, you know, playing with their toys. So I've always kind of kind of singled myself out in that way. If you ask for a starting point, bro, the starting point was before I was even born, man. I've always been very curious about shamanism. I've always been curious about the Native American tradition. Something told me, even as a child, like, they know something. Those guys in the headdresses and the face paint, you know, dancing wildly and drumming and singing around a fire or eating mushrooms or peyote, like, they know something, man. And I want to know what they know. We, we lost something, you know, because I was looking at the world and going, what the fuck's going on? Like, why is it like this? You know, it wasn't always like this. I know it wasn't always like this. I Like, I can feel it. I can sense it. So what happened? Uh, maybe the shamans, maybe, maybe the medicine man, maybe he knows. They know something that we lost. So I started to kind of find great interest in that path early on. You know, my dad had eaten psychedelic mushrooms. And when he told us that, I was like, oh, really? So you hallucinate? What's that like? You know? The religious traditions of all nations and peoples always interested me. So I read the Bhagavad Gita, or I listened to it. Um, I listened to the New Testament and the Old Testament. I looked into uh, the Sikh religion. I looked into Islam. I looked into Buddhism and the story of uh, Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha. Um, I looked into everything. I looked into Judaism. I looked into everything because I wanted to know, okay, like, what the hell is the deal with this? What's the deal with that? What's the deal with this? What's the deal with that? My mom was always supportive of my spiritual explorations. And my dad was in a little bit, in a, in a way, in his own way, too, because he was always a skeptic of religion. But this most certainly was a journey I took alone. Uh, the, there uh, is a saying about shamanism. Shamanism is the path from the alone to the alone. And um, it is most certainly a, a path that is solitary in nature. You can't walk through the door with 20 people arm in arm. You have to walk through the door on your own. I didn't really talk about it like in high school or anything. I, I really, really got deep into shamanism after I got out of the Navy. Um, and I dabbled for a short time in psychedelics. And then I had a really intense experience of mushrooms where it was like, you know, in shamanism, they believe that there are like within these plants, there are what they call plant teachers. And these, these basically these plants have a spirit to them and you have to make allies with that spirit. Otherwise you're not going to have a good time. And, um, I met the mushroom spirit one time when I was using the mushroom to party and it was not very happy with me. And it was yeah. like, you know, get the fuck out of here. You're not using this the way it's supposed to be used. How dare you, you know? And 
after that, I took a break, an extended break from like over like a year. After a while, I was like, well, I'd like to get back into it, but I'm kind of worried that something like that's going to happen again. And then I got a number of like beautiful synchronicities that were, I could, I could explain, you probably wouldn't even believe them, but it's, it's details that really don't matter. Case in point, I got into it in the shamanic sense. I started studying shamanism in a whole new way and using the techniques in these altered states of consciousness. I also started going out into nature a lot and like meditating in nature, going on prolonged hikes, several hours in the desert. Yeah, it was really interesting, I think, you know, kind of plotting out his path from an early age to, you know, how he built his understanding of the world. I I just think that this is like a part of him that is not really often uh, explored by the media. It's it's not as interesting. I mean, there were we had some details, but you know, I think this uh this really kind of shows you how you know circumstances and and culture uh, came together to uh, to to kind of form what uh, what became um, well America's shaman. We also get a, a sort of peek inside Jake's worldview, you know, the, the way he sort of interprets the events that happened to him and, you know, he calls them synchronicities. And he talked about this a couple, a couple times during our, during our conversation. You know, this, this stuff happens to a lot of people, but some folks choose to look at it and say, wow, that was a wild coincidence. Whereas the feeling I get with Jake is that these coincidences are actually a sign that he's on the right path or that things are lining up properly or that he's being encouraged further by some otherworldly sort of force. Yeah, the curiosity, you know, and like always um, trying to look deeper into things, trying to question things, combined with the idea that there basically aren't any coincidences and that uh, things happening in your life are kind of spiritual messages that you should listen to intently and, and kind of um, be guided by. Uh, yeah, those, those things kind of all came together. And I thought what was really interesting about Jacob is that he's not an evangelical Christian like most American conspiracists or people who are interested in QAnon. Um, he has a much more eclectic kind of spiritual worldview. He explained how um, how he went on a spiritual journey, and what he said what he did was that he would find elements of religious traditions that just resonated with him, and he would just integrate those elements into his own pluralistic religious practice. Really what it came down to for me was I took this analytical question-everything type of perspective that I had gained and learned to use strategically growing up. And I grafted it on everything in my life because I came to find, well, if I can't trust what my own fucking parents believe, if I can't trust what's on the television, if I can't trust what's on the radio, if I can't trust what's in schools, if I can't trust what politicians are saying, then what the fuck can I trust? Okay. I can trust God. And if God exists, which I know God exists, I had plenty of experiences growing up to show me that God exists. Then I would be guided on this path toward truth. So every time I found something that resonated with me regarding like um, what the truth was, I would, it's almost like finding a little gold nugget on the ground, you know, like you're, or like panning while you're in like, you know, Montana or something and looking for gold in the river. And so every time I found a little nugget of truth, I'd be like, ah, setting that aside, putting that in my pocket, putting that in my little sack of truth. And um, eventually it got to a point to where I had stored so many of these little gold nuggets that I had eventually enough to create a gold bar 
that I could just put on the table, melt it all down. Yeah, the profound distrust, I think, is another thing that colors Jacob's experience, you know, that the, the idea that we are in a kind of desert of trustworthy institutions, uh, you know, and I think he takes it obviously to to an extreme. Well, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, what he's describing here is, you know, what's often referred to in the community, uh, you know, the conspiracy community is baking. You know, if you get enough crumbs, uh, you can bake a loaf of bread. Uh, but when Jake describes it, it's gold nuggets, and those nuggets can be, you know, melted down into a gold bar. The other thing that he brings up here and that is kind of consistent is his reliance on firsthand experience, or at least cl- claims that he had firsthand experience. So there was, you know, a point that we are not going to include where, you know, Travis and him went back and forth on. Um, something that we actually covered recently, these, this supposed patent uh, for a kind of, you know, a new type of uh, airship. And, you know, it was like, well, I, I know it's real because I saw it. I experienced it. And so obviously <laughs> for Travis at that point, it's like, well, what, what you can't really argue with a claim of firsthand experience. He went on to explain his pluralistic religious vision, um, talking about how he believes all religions are basically a kind of shamanism. When it comes to religious experiences and this idea of having a more plural view or a more eclectic view of God, that's why I practice shamanism, because at the root of all religions, it doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter what the religion is, at the root of all religions is a form of shamanism, because they all have sacraments or sacred plants or incense or something that they eat or use to to banish evil spirits. They all believe in some God or collective soul or Nirvana or Brahma or what have you, um, Allah. They all believe in um, prayer and meditation. They all have songs, holy songs and dances and drumming and music. Um, they all have uh, a very real belief in their faith and the idea that they, if they pray for something or they work together as a community, they can achieve things or miraculous things. They all have a relationship to the environment in one way or another. All religions are a form of shamanism. They just have way more dogma. And that's why I was like, well, I'm going to get rid of all that dogma crap and just get back to the basics. Yeah, you mentioned that he that he you know is not a kind of evangelical or Protestant. At least you know he doesn't identify as such. But the way that he's kind of building a personal relationship to the divine mm. does have a bit of it, of that in in there. Yeah, you know, I suppose this is this is this really is the nightmare of Catholics. You know, it's like if you go the way of Protestant, uh, if you go the way of Protestants, then you're just going to become a pagan who just believes in whatever. And he just kind of like I guess you know uh, t- took that to heart, and you just sort of like yeah, you. Just just sort of like, you know, saw the whole world, the whole wide world of spiritual beliefs and just thought, you know, maybe there's just a germ of everything I can sort of integrate into myself. He talked about why he went to malls in his shaman getup. Uh, he believes that it's a technique for disrupting people's usual thinking. Now, in this clip, he gets into like Pizzagate and satanic panic stuff. He points out that the stylized A symbol of the that's used by the Arrowhead Mall in Glendale, Arizona, resembles a symbol in a 2007 FBI intelligence bulletin about symbols used by pedophiles. And it kind of does, except the mall version is more squiggly and it's turned at a different angle. Yeah, because it's an arrowhead. Yeah, yeah, because it's an arrowhead and it's an A and there's like limited numbers of ways you can represent that graphically in a stylized way. But yeah, the mall had been using that logo for decades. I think it's more reasonable 
reasonably attributed to an unfortunate coincidence and then the idea that the mall wanted to openly signal to pedophiles. I practice a form of shamanism that's uh, often referred to as Hyoka shamanism. And it's like one of the highest levels of shamanic initiation. Um, and I am largely self-initiated. I went to ceremonies and stuff like that, but um, God is my mentor. The angels are my teachers. So what happened is I started having these profound shamanic experiences. And I always kind of intuitively, ever since I was a kid, especially after some really boundary dissolving experiences that I had with cannabis, I always kind of understood intuitively the nature of reality and the the shamanic wisdom i would get what some people would call information downloads d- divine downloads of the nature of reality and it's almost like all these questions that i had been asking for years got answered intuitively and i was never really able to express it in words so around i think 2015 I wrote a book and it was the the purpose of the book was to condense all of my spiritual knowledge and shamanic experiences into a fiction that I could basically tell truth through fiction. So I did the cover artwork for it. Um, everything in that book, like I even have misspellings on purpose because I have encoded messages in the, in the misspelling and the grammar uh, or the bad grammar and stuff. So it's kind of its own puzzle. I always like puzzles. You know, I like mysteries. I like things. I like trying to figure things out. That's part of why Q intrigued me so much. I wrote that book and that was when I really started to go through this whole alchemical furnace burning away the dross type of experience where all this other stuff that was all these extra words that I was throwing into some of these explanations kind of got burned away and I was able to condense all of this knowledge into a gold bar actually multiple gold bars at at that point, I was 28. My friends, my group of friends, they thought it was funny that I was going out dressed like that and trying to talk to people. But like I said, it's a form of Hiyoka shamanism where you dress in a way that that is shocking and you behave in a way in many cases that are backward to cultural tradition. And you do this to kind of shake up the culture and get people to think differently. So I would go out dressed this way, you know, with a sign on my staff and people would come up and talk to me. And I had a pamphlet. I had like a, a one-page thing I could hand them. I, it was called Inspiration Weekly. The point was, was to shock people's neuro-linguistically programmed system. It was to shock the pattern in their brains that had been created by the Operation Mockingbird Media and years of brainwashing in schools, years of brainwashing by politicians. And then they that shocking image and people would come up and either ask to take pictures or talk to me. And then I'd have a real chance to converse with them about you know, the seventh generation and what we're doing now and how it's going to affect our great, 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 great grandchildren. Um, I would have a chance to talk to them about, you know, uh, the destruction being done to the environment or the mass enslavement of humanity through debt and all of that stuff. My childhood had, you know, prepared me for it, you know, <laughs> getting, getting picked on in schools led me to not really give one shit what anybody said, you know, so, uh, and like the whole saying goes, when you care what people think, you're rather a slave. And I refuse to be a slave to any person, any group of people, or any system or government. Um, I grew up in a household where I was forced to 
behave a certain way and, and, you know, have certain, uh, disciplinary measures, uh, exercised against me if I didn't. And so I, I, I in one way or another, I kind of grew up in a house with tyranny and my dad was a tyrant, especially when he was really drunk and an asshole. So it really kind of shaped me to say, well, no, I don't care what anybody says. This is, this is the path. So like it, how it gets into, you know, having Q sent me and, you know, me calling out Arrowhead Mall for having a pedophile symbol as their logo and using it by their bathrooms in which they have family restrooms that lock, okay, using it to like lead up to the mall. And then by Arrowhead Mall, there's all these other weird symbols like the bloody handprint uh, for a restaurant. Uh, that is for like fish and chips. There's uh, Bush's chicken and and like all sort like pizza parlors and stuff with weird ass symbolism. And, you know, it was just really shocking to me seeing all these things in the same area. And then I heard from a woman that used to work at Arrowhead Mall that children go missing at that mall all the time. And that there are, in fact, obviously in all malls, subterranean levels where they get stock and stuff like that brought into the mall. And uh, it just so happened that Costco was less than a mile down the road or so from Arrowhead Mall. And we all know that Costco is associated with China. So there was all these weird things where I'm like, okay, you know what? No, fuck this. Yeah. It's like, you know, everything is, is, a, is, is worth deciphering. Everything is worth um, processing. For him, you know, even if it's just a nearby Costco and a tenuous you know, connection to the, the Chinese, which I guess he just assumes that, you know, you understand that China is bad. And so that adds to, you know, this conspiracy, the Bush's chicken signifies, I guess, the Bush family, you know, it's so it's everything is kind of mixed together. And uh, yeah, he, you know, around that time, he he already had that Q sent me sign that he would uh, always have with him on the spear. I noticed when he was talking about how he wanted to use his outfit and his behavior to disrupt people, it sounded very Discordian. This idea that uh, this uh, that it's important to disrupt people's paradigms to introduce a new one. Jacob's perspective on QAnon is pretty conventional for a QAnon follower. Uh, he believed that there was just some sort of crucial information that the mainstream media was covering up, and QAnon was just one of the only means of getting that information to more people. When it comes to Q, it became quite clear to me that if we had a chance at getting the information out to the people and helping them to put the puzzle together, helping them to deprogram themselves. And I see Travis has that Q poster thing in the background with all that stuff on it, you know, about secret space program and about all that stuff. If, if the media is not going to talk about it, then what the fuck are we going to do? And if we have millions of people, literally at this point, like 50, 60 million people all over the world that are talking about this stuff, that are actually digging deep on these things that the Operation Mockingbird Media refuses to talk about, then I'm going to push that all the way, baby. He has a um, perhaps unexpected perspective on Alex Jones. He is not a fan. It sounds as though Jacob likes Jones's message, but doesn't like his bombastic delivery. Now, I, never, I never really got into Alex Jones or Bill Cooper uh, until look, Alex Jones, I saw some of his stuff, but in all honesty, look, I love Alex Jones and I, I was so impressed and I bless him so much for going into Bohemian Grove and getting us that footage that took balls. And then to go up to a Bohemian Grove member and like 
ambush him. I ambush journalism and start talking about how, yeah, he's the one, I'm the one that did it. Yeah, I went in there with the video camera. Yeah, that was me. You know, that right there was like, fuck yeah, dude. Fuck yeah. So first of all, I God love Alex Jones for what he did in Bohemian Grove. But I don't per se very much enjoy his brand of being all over the place and yelling and screaming and then blah, 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 and get really angry. You know, I'm yeah. just, I, to me, that's really, it's a turnoff. And I think that, that it's the wrong approach. Even though what he's saying is true, the way he's saying it just doesn't rub me the right way. Yeah. Part of why Jacob Chansley doesn't like Alex Jones, Jones had a confrontational interview with him. And according to Chansley, it was Jones who gave him the label QAnon Shaman. Uh, he makes it clear that it's not a label that he gave himself. Um, in this clip, Chansley also gets into his utopian vision for the future of humanity. Alex Jones is the one that gave me the name Q Shaman or QAnon Shaman. I never called myself that, but the media continued to insist that I was a self-entitled or self-named QAnon Shaman. Never true, not true, never did it, none whatsoever. I always went by the name Yellowstone Wolf. If I went by a shamanic name, it was Yellowstone Wolf. And when I use the term America Shaman, it's because the Operation Mockingbird Media has created a straw man that they used to create a divisive and polarizing propaganda campaign where they used my image as that straw man. And they used it because it, they created this shock and awe campaign that they were going to then use to try and make it seem like Trump supporters were a bunch of nut jobs. And, oh, look, he's bare chested and, you know, he's in the Capitol and look at the way he's dressed. He's crazy. They're all just crazy, crazy insurrectionists, you know, and it's and that was the narrative. You know, when they use that term QAnon shaman, a lot of people have like a loaded image in their minds of who and what I am based on the, this media misrepresentation. First of all, it's nothing I ever called myself. So I, I'm not going to like be like, oh, yeah, I'm a Q shaman. I'm a Q and on, you know, no, I'm not mentally ill. I'm not <laughs> crazy. You know, I'm not a, a bipolar, schizophrenic, uh, delusional, depressed. I'm not a short bus retard. I'm not, you know, an insurrectionist. I'm not a terrorist. I'm none of that stuff. I'm not a criminal. I'm not a convict. I'm not, I don't even consider myself a felon. I don't accept that label. I am a shamanic practitioner. I'm here to help save humanity and the planet Earth from most certain extinction and destruction if we continue to trust these globalists and these Satanist Luciferians and allowing them to take over the planet. These transhumanists that want us to merge with AI and technology and create a whole new human race that's like a cyborg hive mind, a Borg hive mind from Star Trek. Not going to let it happen, no. Jack. We have two possible futures. We have the future where an organic organism, an organic humanity ascends into the highest possible levels and dimensions of light, love, peace, harmony, and spiritual evolution. Mm -hmm. Okay. Where we are one with the earth, one with each other. There's no peace. There's, there's all peace, no war, where everything is symbiotic. Everything is synergistic and there's all these synchronicities that show us that we're in harmony with nature and with God. Or we can go the other route. And the other route is that we have a synthetic form of human being based on like things like cloning and AI technology and transhumanism and the merging with machines and AI where births are created based on controlled um, um, gene manipulation. And um, we are pulled down into a lower dimension of electromagnetic activity into this AI hive mind 
of sorts, where we use all the resources on the planet. We destroy ecosystems and, and we create mass extinctions and we end up all basically uh, living within this dystopian hell on earth scenario. We can be either in utopia and Eden or dystopia and hell. We can either be organic, symbiotic, uh, ascended spiritual masters of our own reality and fates, or we can be these synthetic cyborg transhumanistic robots merged with AI living in a dying world that will only last less than a couple hundred years at most. Yeah, just uh, for reference, that short bus comment is based on his first lawyer's now infamous comment in the press. Um, so he he didn't just kind of come up with that himself. He he's basically responding to to that claim. I would, yeah, I would definitely take it. I think that he he believes a lot of nonsense, but I would. He's definitely not a dumb guy. I mean, obviously, the way he's he's able to like articulate himself, um, this very interesting, dramatic way, and the way that he's obviously he likes he likes doing a lot of reading and lots lots of um he has he has like favorite authors, so he, he's definitely not a dumb guy. There were a lot of conspiracy theories from the right about Jacob Chansley, such as the absurd notion that he was actually Antifa, but he sounds unbothered by the massive amount of speculation about him that he received um, after he became famous after January 6th. Not only was my life turned completely upside down in the 24 hours after January 6th and then the, the 72 hours that led up to my, my arrest by the FBI in Phoenix, but then I have the government, the media, and my own defense attorney saying a bunch of shit about me that's not true. And I couldn't defend myself. I couldn't do anything about it. Very few people have had experiences like what I've had. And so I don't fault anybody that considers themselves a Christian or a conservative Christian nationalist or whatever for not liking my appearance or for thinking that I'm a, a pagan, you know, um, I, I mean, they can think whatever they want. This is a free country as far as I'm concerned, and that's the way I'd like to keep it. I, I'm the kind of person at this point where I'm in my life where I, don't, I really don't like getting into arguments. You can tell me, you know, two plus two is eight, and I'll be like, yeah, sure. Okay, bud. You know what I'm saying? Don't give a shit. You go ahead and think whatever you want. I'm not going to sit here and argue with somebody and change their mind. And that's part of the beauty of what I went through with my dad. Everything that I've gone through in life has prepared me for the next step. And what's funny is that, and this is something that actually kept me going when I was in solitary and when I was in prison, is that Gandhi once said, God gives us just enough light to see the next step in front of us. But in our ignorance we and arrogance, we want to see 10 steps ahead. And when we look 10 steps ahead, we feel we see darkness and we feel lost in the darkness. When all we have to do is just focus on the next step and God will get us there. It just helped me to like one day at a time, I'm not in prison anymore. That's cool. And then they move me to home confinement. It's like, I'm, I'm fucking back home. And I, you know, okay. You know, and then I'm out of fucking BOP custody. Okay, I'm on probation. Fucking A, you know, supervised release. Here I am. Yeah, we were we were not looking to uh, to get into any confrontations uh, either. <laughs> you know, I think that was that was one thing that was that was definitely uh, you know difficult for me about the interview is is you know going into this space and and trying to keep the conversation you know more on how Jake 
got here as opposed to trying to convince him uh, that, you know, that his beliefs were incorrect or that they were harmful or, you know, it was it was a it was a weird situation. (laughs) It was a weird situation. I I don't know. You know, we've we've haven't really been we haven't really done this before on the show where we talk directly uh, to somebody that is is such a fervent uh, QAnon believer. I don't know if you guys had any feelings about that or. Yeah, I mean, it was strange and it was kind of um, our first time doing something exactly like this. I think it made sense in this case just because um, it gave some extra insight and, uh, you know, texture and background. But yeah, you know, I mean, there's there's no point arguing. And uh, I mean, the listeners have probably not uh, just dropped in uh, for this episode. You know, they, they know what we believe, you know, and uh, and a lot of uh, people won't be surprised by his beliefs. And so, you know, anytime we got into a, a place in the interview where we were kind of I don't know, arguing about the facts or, you know, what opinion is correct and what isn't. Uh, It just was not, there was nothing there. It wasn't very productive. Jacob also talked about his experiences in prison, which are, you know, of course, difficult, but was made more difficult by the fact that he spent a lot of time in solitary confinement, which is a form of torture, according to the United Nations and lots of civil rights organizations such as the ACLU. And it sounds as though while that uh, while in solitary, he experienced a high degree of uh, psychic discomfort, which he attributed to being the target of psychotronic weaponry, because he is, in his own description, a targeted individual. Now, obviously, we have no way of knowing what uh, Jake actually experienced, but I, I think there are reasons someone might experience auditory hallucinations besides being targeted with hyper-advanced weaponry. Do you guys know what psychotronic weaponry is? I'm sure you've heard of voice of God technology, voice to skull technology. In 2017, after I started doing my YouTube and exposing all these elites and all the satanic shit they were doing and the deep state and the pollution and the new world order and all that stuff. And like, dude, like, you know, the the stuff they can do, they can fuck with your dreams. They can give you extreme back pain. They can make it feel like somebody's drilling a drill into the side of your head. They can make it feel like somebody's pulling your teeth out of your skull. They can make it feel like your eyes are like going to explode. They can give you rashes all over your body. The shit I've been through, you guys probably wouldn't believe. Okay. Because the stuff I've experienced, the things that I've seen in the sky the things that I have experienced with, you know, intimidation online and, and death threats and, you know, psychotronic weaponry abuses and all that stuff. Oh, it's very real. When you become a targeted individual, you start seeing black, black fucking helicopters following you around and shit. Oh, it's on another level after that. The uh, psychic attacks, the psychotronic weapon shit got on a whole other level while I was in solitary. The pressure, the mental, emotional electromagnetic pressure was through the roof it was unbearable in some ways it was insurmountable in some ways and i was only able to overcome it through shamanic techniques and prayer breathing techniques yoga exercise it it was it was hell bro it was on another level You, you got it's like you know being trapped inside your own mind and you're not the only one in there They said it was for COVID at first, and then they said it was administrative segregation because they were worried about my safety. But the thing is is that I wasn't in administrative segregation when they moved me to Oklahoma for a couple of days. I wasn't in administrative segregation when they moved me to Colorado for a couple of weeks. So to me, it's just, it's malarkey in my opinion. Um, I think it was designed as a form of soft torture, but 
you know, that my lawyer doesn't see things that way. After solitary and after I, I pled out, after I pled guilty, the stuff kind of started to dissipate. I got out because I had six months of good time that was already coming to me. You only serve 85% of your sentence when you do federal time. And then I got six months off my sentence for doing um, RDAP, Re Residential Drug Abuse Program. It's a form of programming inside of the prisons. Um, and uh, I gained First Step Act credits. I gained six months off my sentence. So I got a year off my sentence. And then they released me two months before that year off my sentence uh, arrived. So, um, you know, I got out in, I believe it was March 28th of 2023. It was demanded that I do RDAP, but they also wouldn't give me the year off of my sentence, but I was able to earn First Step Act credits. So this is the thing about all of this, man, is that there's good people in the deep state. There's good people in the military industrial complex. There's also some really, really bad apples. And I don't know. I, I think that some of the stuff that I went through, the only way to explain it is the grace of God, bro. Some of the stuff that I've experienced, some of the blessings and the synchronicities and the things that have happened, the only way to explain it is God. Either that or fucking time travel technology, but I don't see myself as so important that, you know, time travelers are watching me. You know what I'm saying? I think that's a little crazy. And there's always this voice of God pushing me forward and saying, hey, bud, I got you. And there's been so many miracles. So many, you guys, you wouldn't believe me if I told you some of the stuff I've experienced on a, like a cool divine level. I've been through some really crazy shit on a negative level, but I've been through some equally, if not more awesome, positive stuff. I'll just give you an example of some of the stuff I experienced or one of the like the synchronicities that I experienced in prison. So I was in Florence, Arizona as soon as I got locked up. And it was like a couple of days after I got locked up and they slammed me with the felonies. I thought it was just misdemeanors. They slammed me with the felonies of a maximum of 25 years. And I was freaking the fuck out. And I had a Bible and I was like, God, why would you ask me to do this? Why would you ask me to put myself in this position? I'm in solitary confinement. You know, they're talking about 25 years. What the hell? Please speak to me. So I, I said, speak to me through this Bible. So I close my eyes. I open the Bible to a random page. And then I point my finger at a random uh, verse. And I open my eyes and I look. And it said, um, I am yours and you are mine. I have redeemed you and called you by name, O Jacob. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> and this is early, early on in the, in the incarceration. And I was like, well, I'm not, I don't feel very redeemed, you know, but then it just so happened three weeks before my release, which by the way, the release of Tucker Carlson's footage and McCarthy giving it to him had nothing to do with my release. Three weeks before my release was set to take place, Tucker Carlson airs that footage. And then I got all these people sending me, you know, letters saying, dude, you are redeemed. You have been vindicated. You've been exonerated and all this other stuff. And I, and I couldn't help but think of that fucking Bible verse that I read when I first got locked up. So there's this saying, uh, Satan reasons like a man, but God thinks of eternity, you know, and we just got to trust God and do the faith walk. Anybody who doesn't get inside of a prison cell and then analyze everything about their lives and where they went wrong in every single way from childhood to what led them to that moment is, is a repeat offender. There was definitely a large cognitive dissonance at some point, but mm -hmm. as I got a hold of certain literature within the prison that I was at in Safford, it just reinforced a lot of the beliefs that I had.
these are actual books in the prison. I was actually quite blessed to have some really good books. I read some stuff uh, from Michael Sala, Secret Space Programs and Extraterrestrial Alliance or mm-hmm. Alliances. I read Covert Wars and Breakaway Civilizations by Joseph Farrell. I was blessed to go to Safford. They had a weight pile. They had for prison food from what the guys at the prison were saying, it was good food. They had tennis courts. They had a softball field. They had a track. They had a, a you know, movies, every, uh, prison movies, like, like new releases and stuff every weekend on the DVD players. They had, um, they had a lot of stuff like trees and, you know, bushes. And I know that may sound funny, but most prisons <laughs> oh, don't yeah. have those things. There was a beautiful mountain in the background. It's actually a, Seda, a sacred Native American mountain, uh, sacred to the Apaches, I believe. And it's like, of all places for me to go, it's the one mountain in Arizona where the Vatican has a, a telescope that they uh, named the acronym Lucifer. You know, there's something else going on. It's, God is telling me something here. You know what I mean? And I collected myself because the thing is when you're focusing on the problem you can't see the solution when you're angry or you're stressed out or you're sad or you're depressed or whatever you cannot see the bright side the solution is do your time don't let your time do you use your time wisely work on yourself make yourself better than anybody could have ever imagined including yourself use all this time you treat it like you're in a monastery not a prison yeah, I found this this part fascinating for so many reasons. One, the the idea that there are books about the secret space program in prisons, and that there's you know a lot of uh, literature that that you know a lot you know aligned with with Jake's beliefs. The other thing is you know talking about this Bible passage. You know, I have no reason to to doubt uh, that 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 really happened, and I also have no reason to doubt. That, uh, you know, after watching, you know, the Tucker Carlson tape uh, that showed Jake, uh, you know, telling people to leave the Capitol and to, you know, that Trump had had tweeted to go home, you know, that people would reach out to him and say, hey, you are vindicated. How can you argue with with somebody's experience? And, uh, you know, how do you tell somebody like Jake that that is a coincidence, that that is just a coincidence that you put that you pointed to that passage that that had your name? I mean, hey, look, Jacob is a prominent figure in the Bible, there are going to be a lot of passages uh, that have that name. But at, at the same time, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, sort of his his worldview going in, uh, how could he not come out and, and, and see that as a sign that, you know, he is on the right right path or, or, or that some divine presence is, is trying to speak to him? Yeah, I just want to mention that. It's, I mean, it's actually not surprising that um, there was conspiracy literature in prison. Behold the Pale Horse, the classic uh, conspiracist book, is, uh, is famously one of the most popular popular books in the entire prison system. Um, and, and this is, I mean, because it, it, I think it goes back to the classic sort of uh, theory of like why people fall into conspiratorial thinking is that it provides a narrative that helps explain people's um, when they feel powerless or where, why they, you know, they can't make sense of uh, why they don't have control of their lives or as much control as they would like. And so, um, yeah, so yeah, that's, that's, that's not surprising that, you know, you know, it, that someone who is, uh, you know, conspiratorial in, um, outside of prison would like, you know, would become even more conspiratorial inside. What's next for Jacob Chansley? He says he's going to focus on growing his Twitter account, though he expressed reservations about the new Twitter CEO, Linda Yaccarino, because she has worked for the World Economic Forum. 
He wants to grow his presence, he says, so he can advocate for what he sees as a positive vision for the future of humanity. Well, you know, grow my Twitter. You know, I mean, with all the censorship that's going on there, though, I'm really kind of wondering how much I'm going to how long I'm going to be there. I'm really hoping Elon Musk gets rid of that freaking chick from the WEF because the censorship is back. It's back. So my real mission or goal is to spread a message of love, peace, truth, unity, freedom and uh, consciousness, the role of consciousness in our lives and in the universe so that we can, so I can basically be a finger pointing at the moon or a guidepost on this spiritual path and say, this is the path to ascension. This is how you do it. This is how we spiritually evolve people. And if we don't do this, then we're not gonna be around for very much longer. Thanks for listening to another episode of the QAnon Anonymous podcast. You can go to Patreon and subscribe for five bucks a month to get access to a whole second episode every single week, plus access to our archive of premium episodes, as well as new mini series like uh, Travis's Trickle Down and Julian's Man Clan. Annie as well. Let's not forget our finest Brit. Let me take let me take that again. Nope. And too late. You uh, don't like women and you don't respect <laughs> no, them. No, no, no. Done. Thank you very much. Moving through the outro. We have a website, QAnonAnonymous.com. Oh, and I forgot to mention you can also sign up for a year now on Patreon if you want to save a bit of, of money and uh and uh, make a very bad bet on three very rotten eggs. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, they're so, so rotten. They're so rotten, I tell you. They will bring up podcasts a lot. They talk about other podcasts that they make, and they'll mention they'll mention the male host, but they won't talk about the female. And it's terrible, Patreon. folks. It's really terrible. Uh, it's Patreon. terrible. They try to correct themselves, but Dot the com. producer won't let them. He, may, he lets them lay in their bed. They've made it. They lay, lay in their bed, and they make it. And they sleep there. Patreon.com slash QAnonymous. Listener, until next week, may the deep dish bless you and keep you. It's not a conspiracy. It's fact. And now, today's auto cue. Okay, I'll give you a good example. The UFO community. For the longest time, they were talking about zero-point energy. They were talking about anti-gravity craft. They were talking about this technology that can cure cancer and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, somebody slips in and starts talking about great little green men from Zeta Reticuli coming to the planet and giving people uh, unwanted proctological examinations in the middle of the night. Okay? And this got a whole subsection of the UFO community to talk about that instead of the zero point energy, the anti-gravity, and all that stuff. So, this is why I say do your own research.